we have a special guest. He's no stranger to the ministry here, the church here. We have sent Pastor Bill James out as a full-time missionary a long time ago. He's going to tell you more about it. He pastors Calvary Chapel Ishunga in Uganda, Africa. He oversees Agents for Christ, Uganda Kids Project. There's so much the Lord is doing such an amazing work in Uganda. I could probably talk about that all day too, but I'm not going to because Pastor Bill is going to bring the word. So welcome, Bill James. I think I'll just leave that on. I think I turned it off last time in the middle of service. I don't know. I'm jet lagged. Uganda is... 26-hour flight from here, 20 hours into Boston, then six hours from Boston to Portland, so we're, I'm tired. Uh, my wife is in Uganda. She's running the show. Pray for her. She's got, we have 60 employees, over 500 kids, and God deserves all the glory only. Amen. If there's any, uh, let me make this clear in the beginning, because I am jet-lagged. If I look like I'm fogged, like I forgot, because I did. Um, uh, see, I just forgot. <laughs> oh, I know what I was going to say. If I, don't, I need to make this very clear at the very beginning. If there's anything good that's happened for me, my wife will agree with her and uh, the whole ministry, Dave and Deanna as well. It's Jesus. Amen. He gets all the glory right now. <clears throat> because in 2008... We, let, we were sent out by this church. This is my home church. If you don't know me, I'm Bill James. I've been in Africa for a really long time. I even know some words. Yesu Ahulile, Jesus is alive. Amen? And remember that, because that's what's important today. It'll be important tomorrow, and it'll definitely be important when we stand before the throne of grace. Amina, that Jesus is alive. Anyway, this is our, my home church. In 2008, Pastor Doug and Janet and Kevin and a lot of you who are here sent us out as agents for Christ. Two, two families, two RVs. We had no idea exactly what God was going to do, but we trusted Jesus. Amen? And we watched God do all of the things that's happened from 2008 to today. One ministry still, one agents for Christ, one ministry, now two parts. Las Cruces, New Mexico is Dave and Deanna Chafee with a 10th hour project. We're on class number 10, I think. Many of graduates are here. It's amazing work of God, eight-month discipleship program. If you're young and you don't know what you, God is doing, go spend a year with 10th hour project in Uganda and let God show you what he has for your life. Amen. And uh, the second part of the ministry, which I'm now in, part, in charge of, is Uganda Kids Project and Calvary Chapel Ashunga and the medical clinic. And Anna was here recently. I know you guys saw Anna. God's doing amazing things in Uganda. And it's, again, all for Jesus. That's our motto, all for Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's by Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It all is about Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, we have a three-minute little video I want to play. It's a little overview of the ministry. That, that video shows God's grace, an amazing grace that God has. If you think of what happened, and just think you guys were all involved in this from the very beginning. From the very beginning, many of you came when we were living in tents. Well, there was nothing there but a grass hill. Nothing. But God did everything, and he's not finished. He's not finished the 10th hour project. He's on class 10. I don't know how many more classes he has, but if you want to experience Jesus, he says, come and see. Come and see what God has for you. 
come and experience what it's like to have a personal relationship with the living God. That's what Tenth Hour Project is all about. Come and experience Christ for maybe the first time. And it's an eight-month program. The first two pro- uh, parts are in America, biblical discipleship at the campus, and they go out, well, Ages for Christ did in America, go out sharing the gospel and encouraging others to share their faith. And then they come to either, now it's Uganda and Peru. We're still growing, amen. We just started sending students to Peru. So play, pray for Peru because there's it's still growing. And we have six students in Uganda right now. Somebody was telling me that the, they said the students in Peru were better than the students in Uganda. <laughs> it's not true. The students in Uganda are amazing. I've never met the students from Peru, so I don't have any idea, but I am sure they're amazing, amen, because they're God's children and God does amazing things. Amen. But uh, in Uganda, we are still growing. We started a six-year program two years ago to build a high school. So we're on year two. We have a sophomore class, um, freshman class. So senior one is freshman, senior two is sophomore. There's like 60, 30 kids in each class in our high school. We're trying to keep it small so we can really focus on the students' discipleship and their personal development. Um, and the primary school has like 460 kids now. We have over 60 employees, and God is still growing it. Right now, you saw there, we, last year I toured, and we rate, God raised the money. Praise God. Give him all the glory. We built a gymnasium for the high school and a church. Now, now we all have a place to sit, seats, like 500 seats. Um, but we're still growing. We need to build another classroom for the primary school for three classrooms because the primary school is growing. We need to build another classroom for the high school. The high school is growing, and we can't do it alone. We need your help. So I just ask you to pray. If God puts it on your heart to support us financially, we definitely... It costs $1,300 a week. $1,300 every week to feed the kids. So we have a bunch of things out there. If you want to sponsor to provide a food for one student, $10 a month provides for a whole student's... Fee- whole month of food for a student. It's been, uh, wow, you know what? It's tested my faith, I'll tell you. $1,300 every week when you don't have a budget for it and you're sitting there, like Doug told me, it felt like he was sweating bullets. That's exactly right. But you know what? We're still going. Every single week, God provides $1,300 above and beyond the budget. And give God the glory, amen? I have no idea where the money even comes from. I have no idea. Money just shows up. God is amazing. He's amazing. And I want you to know that what God's doing in Uganda, God is doing here. God is doing here. Agents for Christ started here with many of you as we went downtown Portland and we went to Gladstone and did the whole festival. And Tim remembers, and many people remember how God started Agents for Christ down under the Burnside Bridge every Monday night. God's still at work here, and he wants to use you here. As he wants to use me in Uganda, he wants to use you here. God doesn't make mistakes. Where God has planted you, he has a plan for you there. He wants to use you. But the question is, are you available to be used? Are you available every day? Do you make yourself available? And every morning, do you spend time with Jesus and praying and asking God to use you today for a divine appointment today? And he will. But I promise you, when it'll come and when you don't want it, but be ready. So when it comes, you do it because you'll experience God's glory when you 
pray for divine appointments, and the divine appointment comes up at 8.30 at night when you're leaving Cracker Barrel wanting to sleep, but instead now you're going to help a little old lady change her tire and share Jesus with her. Amen? There's nothing better than sharing Jesus with people. That's why we were created to worship God. We were created to worship God. We were not created to pl play all the other things that the world tw twists our minds to think it's important. I love the Rams, but they're not important. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I love, you know, the kids are there, they love football. I like football, but it's not important. Jesus is important, and the people's eternal welfare is what's important. And people are dying and going to hell, and God has given you the message of the gospel, which can save a person in an instant, because it happened to me in this church. On April 20th, 2004, this church, I walked in here dead, dead in my sins and trespasses, dead, going to hell. And God used a drug dealer, pulled a gun out, pointed it right at my face. And I saw the gun. I said, it's going to go off. It's going to go off. I knew I was dead. But some reason, God in his infinite mercy and grace and love spared me that day. He spared me. I have, you guys know revolvers. This is God. Even I know you guys are God and guns country here, even though this is Portland, Oregon. <laughs> You know revolvers? A revolver, you could pull it out of a mud puddle, it would still fire. The guy pointed a revolver at my face and tried to kill me, and the God stopped the gun from firing. That's the God we serve. Amen? And I fell down, just to hear the rest of the story real quick, because many of you don't know me. I fell down, ran for cover. He, the drug dealer jumped in his car and drove off. I put the license plate out over the police radio. They find the car in Fred Meyer parking lot in Hillsboro. They watch it. About 11 o'clock at night, some guys come to get the car. They swoop down on them, search the vehicle. Two pounds of methamphetamine, $13,000, a loaded 38 revolver, and a box of bullets. They bring the gun to me, and they say, is this the gun the guy tried to kill you with? I'm like, yeah, that was it. It was a long-barreled 38, like a Saturday night special, they call it. They took it to the showed it to me. That's the gun. They took it to the crime lab. It fired six shots in a row. God saved me that day for something I don't even know, but I'm thankful. Amen. And he saved you. And he has a plan for you. But are you letting yourself be available to be used by that plan? Or are you too busy with your own life and your own business that you have no time for Jesus? Because trust me, I'm right there with you. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. I'm the same problem. Even in Uganda, you think you're not distracted? It's everywhere. The spiritual warfare that your kids are, the targets are, is the same in Uganda. It's the same for you. It's not just your children the devil's after. He's after you. He doesn't want you to serve Jesus. He doesn't want you to share Jesus with anyone. He doesn't want you to. But Jesus created you to worship him, and he saved you on the cross. He hung and died. You broke God's law. We deserve death. We deserve to suffer, and Jesus took my place. We'll talk about this in a minute, but think about that. God, Chaboko is sticks. All the kids in Uganda know it well. It's Chaboko. You get in trouble, sticks on the cabina, yes? <laughs> Mr. Pow Pow. Think about that. Think about that for a second. We had a, we had a team from Asheville, North Carolina, and their guy used this example. And I just shared it on Sunday, the exact same example. It was like, wow, dude, that was what I just talked about. But think about this. You know, when you're getting Mr. Pow Pow, when you've been in trouble and your dad's giving you some sticks, imagine somebody takes your place. 
and takes the sticks for you. That's what Jesus did for you. He took your sticks. He took Mr. Pow Pow, but a million times worse. He took hell. He took hell so you don't have to go there. He took death so you could live. And God wants to use you exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask, think, or even imagine through a spirit that lives inside of you. The same power and that spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. So I'd love to talk to you more at the table, but I, hopefully I challenge you now because you know what? God, Jesus only used 12 guys. They turned the world upside down. Think how many people are in this room. If we'd all get serious for Christ... And not just Sunday, when I go out Monday, I'm, I forgot all about it. No, Monday morning, you're on your knees praying for God to use you at your work. Tuesday morning, you're on your knees praying that God would use you wherever you go. Wednesday, every single day, you're living for Christ. And watch what God could do with this group of people. Twelve people, he changed the world upside down. We are fruit from those twelve men. What does he want to do with you? Portland, they say Portland's... Keep Portland weird, right? Portland, in a second, Jesus could do a revival and flip this whole city upside down in one second. You know how I know? Because he did it in my life. In one second, everything changed. The day, April 19th, I was reading the Bible and fall asleep. The next day, I get saved, and God transformed my life, and the power of the living Christ came and filled me, and it completely changed me. And you know what? I wanted to share the gospel after that day because I had experienced Jesus. And maybe I think a lot of people forget because you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you've forgot the joy that comes from every day spending time with a living Christ and every day allowing him to cleanse you with his blood and to fill you with his power and every day making yourself available to be used by God. Maybe you forgot what it's like. Maybe you're here and you forgot it's time. Jesus is coming back soon. And when the clouds part and the archangel shouts, it's going to be the last seven years and it's going to be really difficult for people that didn't get saved before that rapture call. It's going to be a very difficult time and you do not want to be here during that seven years. Though many, I believe many will get saved in the last seven years of the tribulation. You do not want to be here. You want to be partying with Jesus in heaven, amen, with all your friends and all your family as we celebrate together with the blood of the lamb, amen. But what are we doing? And I'm talking about myself. It's so easy to go lay in. I named my, my bed the word so I can say I'm in the word. <laughs> Life is hard. Life's hard, is it not? Continue to walk with Jesus every day, is it easy? No, Jesus said it would not be easy. He said it would be difficult, but I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And he's there every morning waiting for you. Waiting for you to get up and put him first. Waiting for you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and watch him add many, many, many things to your life. Well, we have a, I want to, go through this lesson. I don't even know what time it is, but I still have like 20 minutes, so 30 minutes. Um, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to look at this study quickly together. I've been teaching through 1 Corinthians at Calvary Chapel of Shunga, so I guess 
this is not my home church anymore. I'm now the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel of Shunga, but sorry, Ryan. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, verse 14 to 33. Let me read it, then we'll pray, and we'll go through this study together. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or is what is offered to idols is anything? Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold at the market, meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in the, all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also seek to please Please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, those three chapters, Paul uses an example of eating meat offered to idols to teach us a, very big, a much bigger lesson. He uses a, eating meat offered to idols as a, as a teaching tool to teach us a greater lesson. And the whole, all three chapters are basically about rights and freedoms versus um, love. People have a, rights and freedoms, and even Paul said here, all things are lawful for me in verse 23. But what about love? Paul is teaching us a lesson here. The law of love is to love God and love others. We are truly free in Christ, but we never use that freedom to dishonor God or to hurt someone or cause others to be offended, or cause someone to fall into sin. I'm going to open with this verse. It kind of summarizes the teachings here in this chapter. And it's verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's a summary of what Paul is trying to teach us here. We don't do anything that's based on our own selfish ambition or our own selfish desires, but we do everything for God's glory. And we're going to talk about three things this morning here quickly. First is the warnings, and there's many in chapter 10. Second is the conscience. It's a word used over and over again, shows its importance. And third, the law of love, which is what should guide our lives every day, the law of love. Loving God and loving others, that's the law that Jesus told us. Summary of all the commandments, 
love God and love others. So first thing we want to look at is the warnings. Chapter 10 is full of warnings all the way from verse 5 all the way. It talks about the warnings of idolatry, the warnings of sexual immorality, the warnings of complaining and all the people who were destroyed by tempting Christ. And it says in verse 11, all these things happened as examples to us. So these warnings are for an example to warn us today of the uh, very serious spiritual warfare that we are walking in today and every day. To warn us about the enemy that's out there trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But one, the one warning I want to focus on is verse 14. It's therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You know, when you go on to, they worship the tree, right? They had this, we're going to watch the video again in a second if you haven't ever seen it, but literally found out about this tree card in Yard Tulu, and they were offering sacrifices for over 100, 150 years, maybe 200 years at this tree. And uh, we think of idolatry like that. Well, I don't worship at a tree, but you know, idols come in a lot of different forms. They look a lot different in America. Could be your iPhone or your wife, could be your job, could be your car, could be uh, a lot of things. You know, an idol is simply this anything in your life that's more important than Jesus is an idol. If you say, I don't have any idols, okay, let's do a little test. Jesus is going to come back this week. What is the thing that you just thought of that you don't want to, hap- want to happen before Jesus comes back? That's an idol. If you said, Oh, I want to see my wife again, your wife's an idol. There's nothing that should be more important to you as a follower of Christ than Jesus Christ coming back. Amen? So if there's something that pops into your head, you think, oh, I don't want Jesus to come back because I want to do this thing or do that thing. That, that, whatever that thing is, is an idol. And you need to get rid of it because idols will keep you from Christ and the devil will try to get you to follow anything except Jesus Christ. The devil will do anything possible. And here's Paul's warning us he warns us, flee from idolatry. Now, if you think about this, I use a little bit of example, right? Somebody taking your chiboko, your sticks, your dad, you disobey your parents, and you're going to get sticks. I used to always hate it. My mom would say, as soon as your dad gets home, you get the belt. Mine was a belt, though. I had a belt. Why didn't I get a stick? I got a belt. I want a stick. Um... I'd sit there waiting for my dad to get home. I'm like, why is he so mad at me? I didn't even do anything to him. Right? But right, Jesus took our sticks on the cross. But think about this. Whenever God, God speaks, right? It says, flee from idolatry. Paul wrote that, but God is speaking it to you right now. Flee from idolatry. And I think about it, how much we want to obey our parents or how much I was afraid when my dad's coming home with the belt. Think about you ignoring the word of God, God's word. Ignoring it, just saying you don't care. Disobeying it, don't care about it. Don't care about following it, don't care about reading it, don't care about it. How much more serious is that? Because my dad used a belt. I see people fear sticks in Uganda. You say chiboko, they're like, who, where? They literally run. If I walk out with my stick, the kids scatter like, and I don't like disciplining the kids. I love these kids, but sometimes, you know, God says if you love us, right, he'll discipline us. He says that about your children. But think about rejecting God's word. What's God's chiboko? 
God sticks as hell. Hell. Now here Paul's trying to make a point about the spiritual battle and the idols. Because he made a really clear point. Well, first of all, in eight, he, chapter 8 he said uh, idols are nothing, right? Eight, chapter 8, verse 4. Concerning eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Now Paul's all saying flee from idolatry. People think like he's changing his story, but no, he's adding to it. Before he was saying in chapter 8, he's saying an idol's nothing. It is nothing. But sadly, he's saying now in chapter 10, look at when Gentiles offered to idols, they're actually offering to the devil. And he's going, he uses an example. He used the example of communion, right? Communion, we're one with Christ because we're taking the body and the blood of Jesus through a juice and, a, and bread, unleavened bread. We're actually becoming one together as a fellowship and as one in Christ as we celebrate communion together. Paul's using an example of the priests. When the priests were offering sacrifices, they were partaking in the sacrifice. So the smoke's going up to God, and they're eating the meat. They're one with God through the sacrifices. He's also using the example of how it was in the biblical times. when They, they, only, they didn't share a meal with anybody. They only shared a meal with somebody that they respected or somebody that was their friend. Because whenever they came together to share a meal, they were actually... Becoming one with the other person you're eating with because they're eating the same bread as you from the same loaf. They're eating the same meat as you from the same cow. So you're one together. So Paul's warning using those three examples is this. They're not sacrificing to an idol that's something that's nothing. They're sacrificing. They're being tricked. They're being tricked by the devil that this is just some stupid idol. There's nothing. But really, there's a demonic. You're worshiping the devil. And he even says, you cannot drink the... uh, Fellowship with the cup of the Lord and with the the demons. I cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Cannot partake in the Lord's table and the table of demons. So what's he saying? In other words, flee from idolatry. This is the same for us. What's your idol? Whatever the idol is that you're struggling with right now and that I'm struggling with right now, it's actually demonic. You understand that? That's what Paul's trying to teach us. Whatever you're struggling with, whether it be your iPhone or your wife or your job, it's actually demonic. The devil is tricking you to make you believe that this thing, my phone or Instagram or my wife or whatever, my job, is going to bring me better satisfaction than Christ. The devil is tricking you. We're all being deceived by the devil, right? The devil, it says in John 8, 44, he's a liar, there is no truth in him. It says in John 10, 10, God, Satan's will for you is to steal, to kill, and destroy. But it also tells us in John 10, 10, Jesus' will, the abundant life, and the abundant life today, as well as eternal life forever, amen? But you need to understand something. The idols that you're playing around with, It's really a demonic attack. So flee from all idolatry, amen? Play the video. We're going to watch this little video. It's about the tree. These people are being deceived seriously by the devil, worshiping this stupid tree. The end to the lies, amen? And what all the lies that they believed. They believed it was protected by snakes. Devil's a liar. They believed if they touched the tree, they'd be cursed. The devil is a liar. The punk is a liar, as Jim, my buddy Jim would say. They all believed in this tree. I mean, sad. When, I cut the, when we went to go cut the tree down, they're like, and nothing happened. They're like, 
well, D- Daddy Bilu's small gods must be stronger than our small gods. I'm like, I got no small gods. I have a big god. His name is Jesus, amen? And he is much stronger than any demonic nonsense at Nyartulu. Nyartulu Ophile. He's dead, amen? Tree is dead. You know the amazing thing when we cut that tree down? One of the guys, the families that was been offering sacrifices to that tree, his name was Richard. He was on his deathbed. They thought he was dying. They didn't know what was wrong with him. They were preparing to bury him. We cut the tree down. The very next day, Richard was completely healed. Jesus set him free. Amen. And that's just one story of many of God showed the power of Jesus Christ over the lies of the devil. Amen. This leads us to our second thing we're going to talk about uh, this morning is the conscience. Our conscience is an uh, important part of us, actually. It's, whenever you see the Bible, a word used over and over in, a short, in only a few verses, you know it's important. And the conscience is really important. He lists it five times in you know, only a few verses. But he's making an important point. It's not our own conscience that we're worried about, right? The conscience means with knowledge. That's that part of you that when you're about to sin or you're sinning or you have sinned, where you feel the, the condemnation or the, I don't want to use the word guilt, but you feel the, the bad feelings for doing bad, right? It's a conscience. It's a part that we all have. It's God-given. Sadly, when you don't pay attention to your conscience, it gets uh, wounded or injured. And you, I've met people in the prison where they had no conscience. They were complete killers, didn't care about nothing. Their conscience had been completely destroyed by sin that they didn't have any care about God at all. But really our conscience is something that's inside of all of us. Warns us if you are sinning or you're about to sin or you've already sinned. Can be affected by others, right? And that's exactly what Paul is trying to teach us here. It's given to us by everyone. We're all created in God's image. But we all know about having our conscience injured, right? When something, somebody offends you or does something that's against you, your conscience can be very offended and Paul's telling it here, look, at what's not, it's not important your own conscience. It's the p- conscience of the other person, the other people. He says, not my own conscience, but the conscience of others, right? Paul's teaching us that we should use our conscience. We should not do anything that offends anyone or causes someone to sin or causes someone to stumble or causes someone to be offended. We want to put others above ourselves, which is exactly where we're coming to the law of love which is what Paul is teaching us here. It's our third point, the law of love. Paul's saying everyone has a conscience. It was given to us by God. God, God. Our conscience is a part of us from God that everybody has. And you don't want to hurt another person's conscience. You know how it feels when somebody offends you and doesn't care. Or it's a terrible thing to suffer with a bad conscience. So don't do it to anyone else. Put others above yourself. Exactly what he said in verse 29, not my own, but that of the other. He cares about other people. That's what he's trying to teach us. Idols are worshiping the devil, whether they, they're being tricked into to do it. And our conscience, we shouldn't just care about ourselves, but we care about other people, which is the law of love. In verse 30 to 33, Paul tells us a couple things here about uh, love that should control how we live. The law of love, right? Jesus said what's the fulfillment of all the commandments is to love God and to love others, right? The law of love. Love God, 
first, love others. That's the law of love given to us by Christ. Amen? So, Paul is teaching us here, if you're going through some kind of question about whether you should do something or you're going through some kind of struggle with something going on in your life and you're wondering if you should do it or if it's offending somebody or not offending anybody, Paul here is giving us some things we should look at before we decide what we're going to do or how we're going to live. And it's the law of love. The first thing he's saying, does it, uh, can you give God glory for it? And does it honor God? Can I thank God for it? Verse 30, he says, Why am I spoken evil of food that I give thanks for? And 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So before you do something you're convicted of or you're not sure if you're offending somebody or if you should do something, first of all, you're asking is, does it honor God? Does it bring glory to God? And does it, can I give thanks to God for it? That's the first thing of loving God. And then the second part of it is loving others. He's saying, give no, verse 32, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, right? Don't do anything that gives an offense to other people or that's going to offend the Jews, the Greeks, or anyone from the church. Do live your life in such a way to please others above yourselves, not seeking your own profit, but the profit of others. So you should be asking yourself before you do something, is it loving others by what I'm doing? And then the, thir- sec- the fourth thing, does it lead people to Christ? The thing you're about to do, does it lead people to Christ? Because he says, Paul says that they may be saved. Right? The law of love that Paul's trying to teach us is before we do anything, we ask, does this thing honor God? Does it bring glory to God? Can I thank God for it? And secondly, does it, is it loving others? Loving others, um, leading them to Christ? causing them an offense. If it is, don't do it. If you can answer those questions in the affirmative, uh, loving God by what you're preparing, how you're living your life, and you can love others, and you're free, then do it. In closing, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And Paul, that word imitate is to live the way I live, do the way I do, speak the way I speak. Act the way I act. Paul had a good example to follow. So do we, Jesus. We also see Paul. He wanted to follow Christ. Was he perfect? No. Was he a sinner? Yes. But I believe Paul's greatest desire was in everything to honor God. Anything he said, anything he did, anything he thought, he wanted it to honor God, to love God and to love others. And the same verse I opened with, I'll close with, because this is how we should live our lives with everything we're going to do anything we're thinking about doing or anything we may have done by mistake, we should look back and ask, is this verse 31, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's how we should live our lives. Everything we do should be done for God's glory. Before we do anything, we should verify that, am I doing it for God's glory? Can I give thanks to God? Does it injure someone else or offend someone else or hurt someone else, then we don't do it because we love God and we follow the example of Jesus, the example of Paul and about many other people that have led me to follow Christ, Doug Snow being one of them and many of you others here. 
love is far more important than liberty. It's a law of love. Love God, love others. Amen. Love is greater than liberty. Let's pray.